This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most bizarre, the most heinous, the most newsworthy high-profile homicide cases in Maryland are examined, discussed, and profiled. This season, season four, murder-suicide cases are discussed, they're talked about, they're examined, and on this episode, the murder-suicide of Officer James Smith is profiled and the unsolved shooting murder of 28-year-old Tyrinka Dorsey is discussed. Now, sometimes it's not about somebody having mental illness. It's not about somebody suffering from years of chronic depression. Sometimes murder-suicide is not about a cry for help. And it's not some type of warning sign to let other people know how they was feeling or how they were suffering from whatever they were going through. Sometimes there's no suicide note. Sometimes a murder-suicide is a random act that's done with no real planning. Sometimes the murderer just snaps and they can't live with their actions. They can't live what they did. So, and the, they just zap out and just no planning, just end up taking things to a whole nother level. In the tragic murder-suicide case of Officer James Smith, the officer did just that. He snapped, ate, and left no crumbs but tons of unanswered questions. Now, 49-year-old Officer James Smith was a veteran of the Baltimore City Police Department for over 20 years. He was responsible for the motor unit of the Special Operations Section Basically, like when people of esteemed nature or high importance, like the president or, you know, somebody, they would, if they, when they would come to Baltimore, James would be responsible for leading the motorcade throughout the Baltimore streets or throughout Baltimore. Um, he would lead the motorcade, like on the motorcycles or everything, to basically control traffic whenever this person was traveling through Baltimore. During his 20-year career with the Baltimore Police Department, James, he got advanced technical training, which trained him on how to become like an expert marksman, a perfect shot, or um, basically an excellent shooter. So he received SWAT, uh, SWAT aviation and motorcycle escort training. He was so well respected throughout the police department that when the president came to Baltimore, he would be called for his expertise and his experience on how to handle that situation. James was also a military vet where he served in the army as an army ranger where he was trained in various assault missions in strategic and specialized combat zones. After he was honorably discharged from the army in 1992, James moved right on to the Baltimore City to Police Department. 
During his stint as a police officer, he met Kendra Diggs. Kendra was an MTA bus driver who made a decent living for herself, and she managed to purchase her first home, which was a row home in the 1100 block of North Parish Street in the Sandtown, Winchester area of West Baltimore City. She was an extremely happy, happy person. It was her first home she had ever bought. So she was just so in love with it. That's what Kendra's cousin later commented to reporters for the Baltimore Sun. Kendra already had an older son from a previous relationship, but together she and James had a son who they named James Jr. Kendra was loyal to her employer too, and she had worked for MTA for 13 years. The couple had been together for eight years and they were reportedly engaged to be married. With plans for a wedding in the Bahamas, friends and family reportedly said that they saw no immediate signs of any trouble or any issues in the couple's relationship. They were both working people, they were happy, they were engaged to be married, a relative later commented to the Baltimore Sun. Neighbors later said that they never heard them fight, they never heard no yelling, no arguing, no nothing. They were nice people, all the neighbors said. But apparently, things weren't that nice and the relationship weren't as kosher as it seemed because Kendra did make plans to get out of the relationship. Or at least she made plans to get James out of her house. According to court records, Kendra had called the police on more than more than one occasion, on several occasions actually, reporting to the police that James had made threats of killing her after she told him to get out of her house. But because James was a police officer, of course, his fellow officers didn't really take him seriously because for one, he was a cop, and second, because those were just threats and nothing else. Plus, he was so well-respected throughout the police department that, you know, they kind of like let him slide a little bit. Now, on Tuesday, May 6, 2013, 37-year-old Kendra, she went with a friend to her house. And while her friend waited at the front gate, while Kendra went inside her house to take care of her business, there she confronted James about leaving her home. A physical fight broke out, and around 3.45 p.m., Kendra's friend was the first one who made the first 911 call. My girlfriend and her boyfriend are fighting. I can't get in the gate. I hear her screaming and crying. The baby's in the house, and she said call the police. Her friend screamed to the 911 dispatcher. When two police officers arrived at the home, after knocking on the front door, they could hear a woman yelling, help me, help me. That's when they kicked the front door in and found Kendra bleeding from a wound to her head. One of the officers led her out of the house while James told the officers to go away before running upstairs to a second, a second floor bedroom. The other officer stayed in the house in the doorway and yelled to Kendra asking her if James was armed or if he had any guns in the house. Kendra insisted that he did. I mean, he was a police officer, what you think? I mean, of course he was armed. 
that same officer yelled at James for him to come out of the bedroom. Sir, come out. Sir, come out now, the officer finally. He calmly asked James, his co-worker. Just seconds later, while the officer was outside on the sidewalk talking to Kendra about what had happened, a shot rang out of the second floor bedroom window and Kendra was hit. The officer, who was supposed to be protecting her, ran off and left Kendra leaning up against the fence, moaning in pain and still in the line of fire. Then, like a scene from a movie or something, except it was real life, another shot rang out from the bedroom window and Kendra was hit with a second shot, this time a headshot, which crippled her and left her bleeding and lying on the sidewalk. After shooting her, James refused to come out of the house and this led to a five and a half hour standoff with the, the police. But before that, with bullets, especially bullets flying from a trained technical officer, the officers that responded, no doubt, they feared for their own lives. Plus, apparently EMS and other officers were either too scared to arrive on the scene and transport Kendra to the hospital or whatever. I'm not even sure what the protocol is in a situation like this, but because of that, because of that fear that they had, neighbors had to watch in complete horror as Kendra's body laid on the sidewalk for over an hour. Finally, after negotiators and members of the SWAT team showed up, the technical officers were able to retrieve Kendra's body and transport her to a waiting ambulance who then took her to Maryland Shock Trauma, where the mother of two, still wearing her MTA work uniform, was pronounced dead. Meanwhile, back at the house on Paris Street, neighbors were safely evacuated from their homes and negotiators were still trying their best to convince James to give up, to come out the house, to turn himself in. A few hours after talking to him, the negotiators did they finally were able to convince James to release his four-year-old son who was basically and physically unharmed in the whole incident. It, I mean, he was physically unharmed in the whole incident. Ain't no telling what, how he was feeling emotionally. I mean, but luckily he had no physical injuries. A few hours after he let his son go, James himself gave up and around 9.07 p.m., James was finally arrested. Apologizing for his actions, James was officially charged with the first-degree murder of his fiancée and held without bail at Central Booking. James, who had never been charged with any type of crime before, was off-duty at the time he killed Kendra using his own service weapon. The investigators, they did find his service weapon in an upstairs bathroom in the home along with several shell casings that were close to the second floor bedroom. After James was arrested, because he was a police officer, he was moved from central booking to a private cell on protective custody at the Maryland Reception Diagnostic and Classification Center for his own protection. Now, that name sounds fancy, but it's still a jail. It's still a detention center, trust me. Now, James, he wasn't put on suicide watch or nothing like that. He wasn't being watched or monitored because the correctional officers, they had no reason to believe 
that he would kill himself. They give everybody that come in there like a mental assessment. They ask you, are you suicidal? I'm quite sure James told them no. I don't see why they would think that he wouldn't be suicidal. You know, he was a cop that was in jail. But on Monday, August 4th, 2013, around 1 a.m., correctional officers performed a routine cell check and they found James hanging from a bar in his cell. The correctional officers performed CPR on him and James was rushed to John Hopkins Hospital, but the officer was pronounced dead. His trial was scheduled to start just 26 days later on August the 30th. After James' suicide, his family, who had supported him throughout this whole ordeal, they blamed the detention center for his suicide and insisted that James should have been monitored. But Kendra's family had their own agenda. They had their own gripes to deal with, and they went after the Baltimore City Police Department as a whole. On behalf of his younger brother, who had been in the home when his father gunned down his mother, Kendra's oldest son filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the Baltimore City Police Department. In his lawsuit, he claimed that for one, a lieutenant had been to their house before, more than once actually, because of threats that James had made to Kendra over and over about how he was going to kill her after she had asked him to leave and nothing was done. Represented by V. Moore's infamous attorney, Dwight Pettit, Kendra's son basically claimed that it's supposed to be an officer's duty to protect and serve and not run off like a bitch even if you are scared and getting shot at, and especially if you are armed yourself, I mean, you already had a gun. How you gonna run off? I mean, honestly, none of the officers who responded to the 911 call, they tried to shield Kendra from the bullets. They didn't try to rescue her after she was shot the first time and leaning up against the fence in pain. In fact, they were the ones who actually led her outside to her death. On behalf of her young son, her family wanted punitive damages, they wanted money for battery, reckless endangerment, intentional torts, false imprisonment, and the intentional infliction of emotional distress. They were like, I'm not, no, enough is enough. And in June of 2017, a Baltimore jury sided with Kendra's family and awarded them $850,000 in punitive damages for the negligence of the Baltimore Police Department. That amount of the settlement most likely was reduced to around $200,000 because unfortunately, the state of Maryland has a cap on municipal liability which caps out at $200,000 per victim for any lawsuit that was filed before 2016 and Kendra's case was filed in 2014. Now, let me tell you something. This murder was notorious in the state of Maryland because for one, he was a cop who shot his girlfriend or his fiance. And he did it after she called 911 for protection. I'm quite sure with her having a boyfriend as a police officer and especially with him making prior threats about what he was gonna do if she wanted to leave and stuff like that. I'm quite sure she felt leery about even calling the police. But here it is, she called the police, right? for help and I don't know who they sent out but they lead her outside to get shot man I think $850,000 was not enough money to tell you the truth um 
the neighbors had to see this on a street. Now, most people have not seen a dead body before, and especially a dead body that, you know, with a head wound. So I can't even imagine what the neighbors were even going through, just seeing something like this, just watching everything unfold. Um, I'm quite sure James did feel guilty for what he did. I'm quite sure he felt sorry, especially after, you know, everything was over. And especially after you have to look at your son in the face and realize that you just killed, you know, his mother. How are you going to explain that to him? And especially you being so well respected, you being a police officer, you being this, you being that, and you couldn't control yourself that long, you know, to the point where you want to take out your son's mother. You know, who basically lost both parents now. Who lost both parents. I wonder if he even remembers that. I mean, her oldest son. And he's not supposed to feel a certain way towards cops now. Because, you know, his mother was murdered by one. And also when she called, you know, to help for protection or to help for them to shield her or protect her. They were unable to do that. They ran off like bitches. I mean, I get protocol is to uh, protect yourself or whatever and not risk any other, make make any other lives at risk, but you armed and to run off like that? I mean, I'm not saying they were supposed to go in with gun blazings and shooting and everything, but to run off and leave a victim just standing there and at risk of being shot or killed or harmed, that to me was just totally unacceptable. That's what made this crime notorious in, murders in Maryland because when I first heard about it, I, I could not believe it. And the fact that they laid her, they left her lying on the sidewalk for over an hour. What? What kind of protocol is that? I mean, y'all were that scared of flying bullets? This was, this was your co-worker. I mean, to me, that is so unacceptable to leave a body laying in the middle of the sidewalk because... EMS or whoever is responsible are too scared to move forward and rescue a victim. That is unacceptable. I mean, like I said, I just don't feel like that $850,000 or even if it capped out at $200,000 was not enough, not enough monetary justice for this family that suffered like that at the hands of a police officer. Um, like who are they training for these roles who are they training for these positions to be officers if you can't handle a breakup i mean get over it I, I the way i look at it is though it's like this sometimes they feel like they are above the law sometimes they feel like the law does not apply to them um james never had no history of mental illness he can't blame it on that he was suffering from depression he just couldn't take the fact that his fiance or his girlfriend wanted to move on without him that's a you problem. That's a you problem. That's not a mental illness. And then to make it even worse, you couldn't even live with yourself after the fact over what you had done. So again, who were hire, who's hiring these police officers? I mean, I, I could not, when I, when I heard about this story, I literally, I could not believe what I was hearing. Not just the fact that she was left out in the middle of the street, but the fact that she called 911 for help and they end up basically leading her to her death um this is a story that that will stay with me like for a while because i i, I just i could not believe what i was hearing <laughs> only in baltimore i'm telling you man i i, I couldn't have this one just it, it struck a nerve with me to tell you the truth only in baltimore
This episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting death of 28-year-old Tyrenka Dorsey. An argument, then a fight, then gunshots. Sad to say, but this describes a typical night, a typical fight in Baltimore City. It's, don't let the weather be nice and don't let it be a holiday. It's like when you hear people arguing or fighting in B-more, you almost have to automatically duck. You have to train your kids to almost like to automatically drop to the floor because of the expected gunshots or flying bullets that's sure to come after you hear people arguing. Like, especially if they yell in fighting words. On Saturday, July 11th, 2020, 28-year-old Tyrinka Dorsey and two other women aged 23 and 27 had just gotten into an argument, then a fight, outside of the Pat Chase Social Club in the 700 block of North Patterson Park Avenue. Tyrinka and her friends drove a block away and stopped at a red light around 2.30 in the morning. Suddenly, shots rang out, and Tyrinka, who was driving the car, was shot. Her two passengers were also shot, but they survived. Neighbors later reported to police that they heard about five gunshots, then a car crash. 911 was called, and Tyrenka was rushed to John Hopkins Hospital, where she was later pronounced dead. Tyrenka reportedly had a big heart. Tyrenka loved to travel. She had a steady, stable job. She owned her own home, and she had just bought a new car. She was very mature for her age. Despite being shot in front of witnesses and the police having a person of interest in custody at one point, nobody else has come forward with any additional information in this homicide and detectives have no other clues. I'm frustrated that people won't be telling the truth. Somebody out there has got to be feeling bad that they pulled the trigger. She lived a good life for only being 28. That's what Tyrenka's friend commented to reporters for the Baltimore Sun. A true Beyonce fan, a few days after Tyrenka was killed, her friends and family held a visual for her where they played Beyonce songs and they released balloons in her honor. As I stated, the police have nothing, but y'all know somebody knows something. I mean, come on now. Really? So do the right thing. Clear your conscience. This, this unsolved homicide is only two years old. If anybody has any information at all, no matter how minute it may seem like to you, if this information can lead to an arrest or a conviction in this unsolved homicide, please, please, please call detectives at 410-396-2100. You can also call them at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can also send them a text message at 443-902-4824. You can also email them at homicidetips at baltimorepolice.org. Once again, those numbers are Baltimore City Cold Case Detectives. Three nine is 410-396-2100.
you can call them at 1-866-7-LOCKUP, which is Metro Crime Stoppers with an S. Or you can send a text message to 443-902-4824. You can also email them at homicidetips at baltimorepolice.org. That's homicide tips, and that's tips spelled T-I-P-S with an S, at baltimorepolice.org. You can remain anonymous, people. I mean, I just can't understand why, you know, if you know something, uh, maybe you're scared to say something because you, you're, you're scared of the retaliation, you're scared of what might happen to you. You can remain anonymous, people. You know, you can just call the detectives, call cold case, or call the homicide detectives or whatever. Trust me, you can remain anonymous. Just give them something to work with. Clear your conscience. You, you, you'll feel a lot better about yourself, to tell you the truth. I mean, I, I just, you know, when someone has lost their life and someone took their life who had no right to take their life, then that person should pay for what they did. And that family of the person who was murdered deserves justice. They should, they have the right to know what happened to their family member because just because, you know, a victim of homicide, that person is, you know, dead and six feet under. Trust me when I tell you that the loved ones of that homicide victim, the victim of homicide, the family members of that victim of homicide, they suffer they suffer tremendously on a daily and it's it's it's, it's not cool and it, it, that person deserves justice no matter what type of lifestyle they lived no matter what they were doing they deserve justice they deserve to find answers about what happened and like i said if anybody has any information in any of these homicides the number 410-396-2100 or 1-866- seven lockup that you can text a message to 443-902-4824 or you can send them an email at homicide tips with an s at baltimorepolice.org thank you for tuning in this week please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine tingling hair raising grizzly episodes also, be sure to check out all of the true crime books that are related to this podcast entitled Maryland's Most Notorious Murders 1990-2008, through 2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides Volume 1, and Until I Get Caught, The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore. All of these books, as well as my local bestseller, Junkie A True Baltimore Story, and Child of Baltimore, all of these books are all available on Amazon.com in paperback and as an ebook for your Kindle or other digital e-reader. Please be sure to tune in next week where another high-profile, another newsworthy homicide in Maryland will be discussed, it will be examined, and it will be profiled on Maryland's most notorious murders. This has been a real life production.